You are listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I am your host, Celine Yeager. Each week, I bring you advice from athletes, scientists, researchers, and other experts to help you feel and perform your best, no matter what your hormones are doing. This show is a production of Live Feisty Media. Hey, Feisties. So, a few weeks back, there was a pretty long thread on the Feisty Menopause page that caught my eye. A lot of you were lamenting a sudden lack of mojo, saying that you used to get up and get out the door and get your run in or get your workout in super early, and well, now, mm, not so much. Maybe you have a second or a third cup of coffee first, maybe you wait till noon or after work, maybe you do get up, but now it's more of a forced march than a bound out of bed. And a lot of you are wondering where your get up and go has gone. And I can relate. For years, I had my riding, running, swimming stuff, bedside, ready to go, in the pool by 5.30, on my bike, dawn patrol. And while I'm still an early riser, I definitely don't have the early morning training fire that I used to. So I called up this week's guest, Dr. Kristen Diefenbach, to parse out what's going on here. And as a longtime athlete approaching menopause herself, she had some pretty good insights. We also addressed a slew of other issues like body image, goal setting, how to cope with the psychological challenges that come at this time of life, all kinds of questions and concerns that have been popping up in my inbox. Kristen is a certified mental performance consultant with the Association of Applied Sports Psychology. She is also a Peaks Coaching Group Master Coach a USA Cycling Power Certified Coach, and a USA Track and Field Coach, along with being the Director of the Center for Applied Coaching and Sports Science at West Virginia University. So she's got a lot of credentials under her belt and a lot of experience too. I loved her philosophies and insights, and I am confident that you will as well. Before we get to it, I have a little favor to ask. If you don't already, please give us a follow on social media. You can find us at Feisty Menopause on Instagram and Facebook. You'll find an amazing community of women there. And by joining this community, it helps me show sponsors that we're here, that there's a big group of women being underserved who deserve to be heard. Okay, speaking of being heard, enough of me. Let's get on with the show. It's great to see you. It's great. To, it's been a long time, but I've always yeah. appreciated, yeah, seeing you at the com- coaching conferences and and everything. And this, you know, this is a there's a lot to talk about here, you know. And and nobody, I've never sat in a conference where people talked about this kind of stuff with for this audience particularly, right? And I'd really like to dive in to to you know the first thing that has come up again and again, and it's just this odd feeling of invisibility, of wanting to be invisible, like the, like women who have been competitive and confident all of a sudden sort of feel this shrinking, and it's a, a, the psychological shrinking, and it's, it's unnerving. I mean, I felt it too. I felt it when I turned 50, and it was weird. It was like, because I'm pretty bold, you know, and all of a sudden I was just like, it was a very strange sensation of just wanting to sort of shrink back and that that doesn't help you when you want to be competitive (laughs) it doesn't help you when you want to like toe the line and um can you talk a bit about what what might be going on here oh well first of all i I really applaud you for taking up this topic and and bringing some conversation to because that's the biggest most important thing is is finding that peer group to talk to and and bring it up and it's not represented in the literature I actually went out and did a search uh, before we did this. And I'll tell you, I found only 117 articles dealing with menopause and athletes. Really? And mm-hmm. When I looked across Medline, Psych Info, Sport Discus, Eric, a few of the really big ones. And I just used the words menopause and athletes. So I was really broad, n- not even in titles, just anywhere in the articles. I only found like 16 looking at paramenopause and athletes and few more 29 when I looked at post 
menopause and athletes, but it's not talked about. And the vast majority of those articles are not from a psychosocial. They're from a medical looking at hormone replacement therapy, bone density issues, one on incontinence. Do elite athletes, are they less likely to have incontinence? (laughs) And they are. That's annoying. Yeah. (laughs) But I was still annoying. I was like, of all the things to study that we need help with, elite athletes are all right with peeing on the bike if you have to, right? It's just, (laughs) sorry, (laughs) make you cough. But, you know, we can deal with these things. But I, you know, I think there's, so there's multiple factors. We certainly have the physiological stuff and I'm not an exercise physiologist, but my background in training is up through the exercise science, physical education side. So I do have good grounding in that. And then we have the psychosocial side, which, you know, culturally women of a certain age are not seen. They are, you know, when you get relegated to the grandma role, that's very much a supportive role in our culture. And, and while it's valued for the, for what that is, mm-hmm. and there's, you know, there's value, especially in other cultures valued even more, it is very much a fade to the background, support and help, um, which is interesting because there is some, some research that indicates women of the certain age, right, as they, as they approach in past 50, do an amazing job in leadership positions. And there's some some mm. nice literature in the business side of things. But from a cultural perspective, Hollywood doesn't show them. Right. Very often it's women 20 or 30 years younger than a, that age playing that age. So what it looks like is different. Um, we just – you automatically go from being a miss to a missus or a ma'am. And I think we've all had that panic moment of, I'm not a ma'am. Don't, don't ma'am. <laughs> right? Right. Um, and, and so there, there's some – we grow up with those stigmas just sort of ingrained. Um, and most of us who are hitting that, that marker now, and I'm in that category too. And the women who are just ahead of us, you know, by 10 or so years, we're coming from a place where it's even less likely that we had any sort of role models or any sort of visual representation of women being physically active, let Mm -hmm. alone participating in sport. And I think that's the other really interesting thing when, when you do searches and when you do, try to look for information. It's always about being physically active, never about being competitive and participating. Yep. I've said that right. a million times. I've yep. written it a million times. Yep. I've yep. written like, oh, you should exercise. Because most of, I mean, that that is actually sound advice for a large percentage mm-hmm. of the population, right? Like that's not right. bad advice. But if you are actually already running marathons and going to CrossFit and doing all these things, it's not the greatest advice. You're like, yeah, I know. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, I, think, I think if you spoke to most women, of a certain age, right? And you go and see your physician, the advice you're going to get is is almost like kindergarten advice and you're in college. You know, it's, I broke my ankle two, be- two years back when I was 48 playing soccer, a competitive mm-hmm. game at the end of the end of the season, guy twice my size, couldn't stop, I did. And he just, poof, right? And I popped my ankle. And the doctor, when I went, not the, not the orthopedist, but the regular doctor, when he saw me, he was like, well, you need to stop doing that. It's just too dangerous for someone your age. And I'm like, well, you don't know who you're talking to. And this is the last time we'll be speaking. But it was, he was very serious. And he was, he wasn't just looking at it from the perspective of I broke my ankle. It was, it's time for you to slow down, which doesn't make a lot of sense. But, but keep in mind that the medical profession doesn't deal with athletes a whole lot. We know that even, you know, even when you hurt your back. You go see a family physician, they'll tell you to slow down. You see an athletic trainer or someone with a medical sport background will say, all right, do this, this, and this, keep going. Yep, yep, yep. So there's a whole different set of rules we play by, but no one's studied this population and how the rules apply. Right, right. So it's all conjecture at this point. Especially from, like you're saying, the psychosocial part. And as, I mean, I don't have to tell you, your 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 mental component, like especially at this age when you have a thousand miles in your legs of whatever you do, right? Ten thousand miles in your legs. You've been your your physical self is very trained up, but like what's between your ears is so much of everything. And if if that starts getting rattled, all of a sudden everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's menopause and perimenopause are such a funny thing. Because everybody knows they're coming. Right. They are a completely natural biological piece. But like in a lot of ways, like pregnancy, they've been pathologized. That somehow this is a 
shh, don't talk about right. it. Right. Oh, no, 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 no. We can't talk. You don't, heaven forbid, on the TV commercials, right, that they showed anything about blue water when they dumped it on the pad. Now come forward and heaven forbid you talk about hot flashes and anything other than sort of obtuse, you know, language and, and protect everybody's ears. And so we don't talk about it. And so when you're a female athlete, you're in the position of the women that you perhaps hang out with, the circle that are in high competitive, high performance type settings, that's a really small circle of women to try to find to talk about and normalize this with. And so from a, and, and you certainly, most of us train with men. Now they do have andropause. There is a, a male phenomenon post 50 that has a hormone shift to it. Mm-hmm. But I'm pretty certain I've never met a woman who's had conversations about her menopause symptoms with the men on the, that she rides with or that she runs with, right? It's just not. So from a psychosocial perspective, we're even more isolated. Right, right. You go to a race and you're being competitive, you don't want to talk about there. And we don't have each other as training partners, typically. No, those are all excellent points. And it, and it speaks to, you know, I have this little Facebook group going, the menopause feisties, you know, that's a compliment to this. Mm-hmm. And we have a thousand women in there already. And it's amazing. That's amazing. The, con- the, the conversation is phenomenal. But everyone is just so excited that there is a conversation and there's a place to have this. Yeah. So... You know, okay, you you did a literature search. There was nothing. So where does that leave us? What is that like? What what do you say to like a woman who is like, Kristen? I feel like all the, like this 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 stuff. You know, my my head's not in the right place. How like what's the first mm-hmm. what's the first step? Yeah. Well, so I think one of the most important things to recognize is that some of the stuff you're feeling is actually physiological, right? We've Mm -hmm. got to give a name to Mm -hmm. it. That that shifting, Mm -hmm. you know, when we have shifts of estrogen and progesterone, Mm -hmm. they do affect us. Estrogen estrogen is linked to serotonin. And so when we drop our estrogen levels, you may have drops in serotonin. It may or may not affect your mood swings, brain fog, sleep. So some of that's real. Hot flashes. We all know that, you know, continuous sleep is important and athletes tend to get better sleep than the average population. But if your sleep is disrupted and you're waking up every two hours, even if you get 10 hours, it's not good. Mm -hmm. So first and foremost, recognize that there's some reality to this and that it's not pathological. It's a passing for 90, I think it's 97% of the women, it's a passing period of time. Now, whether it's a two year or 10 year passing period of time, depends. But again, it is a passing period of time and that brain fog and and the depression and some of those things, they are real. Acknowledge them. Certainly, please speak to a doctor. You know, we're not replacing medical advice here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But at the same time, too, look for opportunities. I love that you started a group to talk to other women about it, to normalize it, to recognize that while these things are happening, it doesn't mean they're terminal. But it does mean we may have to come to terms with some adjustments and some changes, right? That your time when you're 18 is probably going to stay at 18, right? And unless you picked up sport much later in life, there is something to be said for, you know, that high peak of youth. But can we shift it? And instead of trying to compare now to then, can we get into that growth mindset of what's the maximum I can do now with the resources I have now? Knowing that, you know, we're going to lose muscle mass. We start losing muscle mass when we're 35. Well, I may have to do a little bit more strength training at this age. I may have to, and that's, you know, that's something you may have to shift the ratio of how you're training. You may have to get more bang for your buck and fewer miles, but, but better quality miles. How do I start to make some of those shifts? The same as you would for any sort of shift in the resources you have. And can we look at it as, you know, resource, resources in and resources out as opposed to loss. Now, grieving the loss of your younger self is something legitimate as well. But can we shift that into pride of, of where it was? And then what can we make shine at, at this age or this point? That's a great, I'd love to dive a little bit more into that because mm-hmm. <laughs> selfishly, it's something sort of, you know, I've been hitting yeah. too, but, but, but everybody does, right? Like I, mm-hmm. I was fortunate in that I was sort of a late bloomer, which is awesome, right? So I sort of late thirties mm-hmm. through my forties, but then like everyone, you are going to slow down no matter what, like everybody is going to hit that place. And how, 
how do you help people cope with that when when there's a performance decline, right? When they're even yeah. if they're not comparing themselves to a 25 year old self, you could be comparing yourself to last year's self at some point, right? And just mm-hmm. being like, like how like where how do you help women get their heads on so they're not always looking rearview mirror but looking forward? Well, I think so. In working with you know, athletes, we're really talking about going through an athlete transition and a transition of identity. Mm -hmm. And can we start to value and recognize the place that we're in now? There certainly is something there for, you know, acknowledging and holding up, this is what I accomplished and I'm really proud of myself. And then from a growth mindset perspective, how do we start to think about this? Well, first of all, we catch ourselves. When we start to put down where we are now, that's certainly not going to be very productive and very helpful. And we're not going to be able to change that. This is now. This is where it is. And so can we start to, as you think about it, oh, I'm not this or I'm not. What am I? What do I have? What can I do? And can we start to shift the narrative? So there's some self-talk here that we can definitely embrace this uh, from a cognitive behavioral perspective. Catching what we're thinking and checking ourselves. Is this something I would say out loud? Is this something I'd say to another female friend who's expressing this thought or this feeling to me? And most likely some of the worst negatives we say are things that we recognize when we bring them out to the light. Yeah, I wouldn't say that to anybody. That's not helpful. It's not nice. It's not compassionate. And it's certainly not productive. And so how can we speak to ourselves in that same kind, compassionate way that we would speak to somebody else? And that's a big part of this acceptance of value and importance and capacity, right? Um, Another thing sometimes I will work with somebody is, especially when the transition feels a little raw or feels a little um, like a tender spot, right? I know this was this was something I've worked with a couple of athletes on, but also dealt with myself. There was a period of time where I had to step away from the stuff that I was traditionally doing and find another outlet for a while because I I had to get some space from you know the competitive at this level. And then the decision to make competitive at a different level was not entirely mine. It was age and some other things, right? And so what's something else where I can express my athletic creativity, where I can express my athletic competitive self, but in a place where I don't have a comparison base. Right. And that's actually a few years ago when I picked up playing adult competitive soccer again. Hadn't played it since I was 18, 19. It gave me a new outlet to be really competitive, but I couldn't compare myself the same way. Right. Right. I like running right. for the same reason. Trail running. Like, yep. I'm just yep. there for oh. the joy of it. Like, I don't, I'm, that, yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. So that's another big piece of this, right? Being being competitive people, we tend to be extrinsically motivated. Mm-hmm. Comparison mm-hmm. to others, podium, the bling, right? And those are never a bad thing unless they're all consuming. This is a great time to check back in with the intrinsic motivation, what value does this add to my life? I'm I'm huge on trail running as well. It's it's you know take the dogs out. I prefer backcountry trail running, like follow the deer trails, which allows me to do a little bit. You know, sometimes you have to hike because the hill you just chose to go up doesn't have a trail and it's really steep, right? But it's still going to be a, a pretty great workout. But all of a sudden, I get out of my head of I'm not running how many minute miles anymore, right? But that finding the joy where what joy does this bring to your life? What what does it add? Can I move it from I have to to I get to? Right, right. And I feel like I was going to ask you about goal setting because I feel like there's ways to change your goals that help you do that too, right? Like I'm not going to ever mm-hmm. do an XC race ever again. <laughs> I'm not ever going to line up and do like a, a lap race. Um, but I will do like a stage gravel race. I mean, I'll 100% do that because it's exciting to me. It's something that is like, you know, anything, I'm only picking things that like inspire or excite me at this point. And uh, I think it's beautiful. Yeah, I think that's really important. And or just just do something totally. And I think that's why I bike packing or like whatever you, you know, try CrossFit, try something. And I think that that's just like mm-hmm. you said, there's that whole that that whole uh, motto suck at something which is great you know like just jump into something that you're not great at and or have never tried and let yourself learn you know well i think there's something so you know 
again, this is not just specific to women, but we are a, a really inter- in a really interesting time in our culture where we have pathologized old age to an extreme extent. Mm-hmm. Um, almost everything we see is about how to starve off old age and not to celebrate and embrace it. Totally. And there's, you know, there's a weird, weird thing about you're supposed to stop moving. You're supposed to slow down. You're supposed to be on pills by the time you're 50 for, and, and not to knock people who need something from a medical perspective, but there's a lot of stuff that with diet and exercise and healthier lifestyles, we wouldn't need until much later. Mm-hmm. Right. And so there is a, there is something freeing. I think if you can embrace it about stepping away from the lineups at six o'clock in the morning and the 18 <laughs> waves of people coming through. Right. Yeah. And being able, and there, there was, um, I think it's from the lore of running. It's been ages since I've read, reread that, but um, there was a, there was a piece in there about I jog, I race, I run and embracing the runner embracing that evolution from that, that drive to be competitive Mm -hmm. to the choice to be competitive. Hmm. And so sometimes when you're younger, you, you do feel that I'm an athlete, I must be competing. And as you get older, can you switch the narrative? I get to at the things I want to. And what I said as it is, you know, my choice. And that comes to your goal setting piece, right? What, what goals inspire me? What goals might inspire others? What goals add to the list of accomplishments in my life and things that I'm proud of? And can we shift what those extrinsic things are to reinforce those intrinsic values that we have? Um, and there's something powerful to that, I think. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally, I totally agree. And I think, I wonder if that kind of segues into, I, I had shared with you that there's this, this thread going on in that menopause feisties page. And it's, it was really interesting. You know, this woman that's saying like, does anyone have a hard time getting going now? Like that they've sort of lost their mojo and everyone's like, that's me. I used to get up and I'd be charging and now I'm having a hard time and I have like six cup of coffees and I'm still like, eh, maybe, you know, and, I think there's probably a lot of things going on there, right? But I definitely have found that my my fire to get up at six in the morning when it's raining <laughs> and get out there and do my, I'm like, mm, yeah, I don't know about that. You know, and I don't know if that's just because I've been there, done that. I think some of it is that for me. Like, it's just like, eh, I've done that a lot. I don't know if I need to do that right now. But but also, like, some women, like, are really mourning, like, their mojo. Like, they're like, where is my motivation? And can yeah. you help? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. So again, you know, we, we got to start with our physical because, you know, there is a, a real truth to the, sh- you know, menopause, perimenopause, menopause and postmenopause are not on and off switches. It's, you know, it's the, the dials, right? So we're shifting hormones and on every, any given month, the roller coaster we're on can be ups and downs. And that does affect our energy levels, our metabolism. There's some realness to that. Right. So we want to make sure we acknowledge that and that over half the women report some sort of fatigue on waking, even after a full night's sleep and Mm -hmm. sleep. Yeah. So it's a real phenomenon. You are potentially feeling midday tired, sleepiness upon waking as a fluctuation of your hormones and some of those things. But then there also may be some of those psychosocial factors, like you mentioned, of I know my body's changing. I'm not happy with this. I know things are different. I'm not happy. And whether it's overt, like I'm thinking about it, or just knowing, like that little bit of dread in the back of your mind that things are shifting Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you're not necessarily thinking about it on an everyday basis, but you just know it's different. That weighs on us cognitively as well. And that can contribute to that sense of depression, which can make it harder to get up in the morning, can do some of that. And it may not be clinical depression. It's just, you know, it certainly could go that way, but it could be more just a, a phase of getting through, um, and starting to, and and there's something, I love that you said a minute ago, there's something to be said for, yeah, I'm over the period of my life where I got to come home and spend more time cleaning my bike than I spent riding it. Right. (laughs) Right. I did that for a long time. I'm going to wait for the sun to come out because I'm just, you know, there's fun in a rainy day ride, but if I got to do that cleaning, oh man, I just, I, that's the part I used to hate. Um, so there's, there's, I think there's a lot of factors. You can't tease one out, but looking for ways to, again, be more kind to yourself. Maybe it's uh, just once or twice a week that you sort of push yourself to do that, but not every day. Right. So you can see if, 
See if you can bring it back, see what it is. Looking to reset some of those things you do in the morning. Maybe it's no longer your hard training workout. Maybe it's getting up and doing some yoga or some stretching or a walk with the dogs. And this is one I've had a real trouble with. Walking, to me, is like, why bother? I could go for a run. And trying to embrace that as a quality physical activity in my life that can complement the running I want to do, especially if it helps me get a little more, get started, get the day going. My run might be in the afternoon now, but my morning mojo is the walk with the dogs. Whereas 10 years ago, catch me walking. Oh man, that wasn't going to happen. Cause I, I equated it to being a waste of time. I, yeah. <laughs> That's how I always felt about towards, it. <laughs> yeah. A bit of a stigma towards, and you know, I don't want to put down anybody who, who, who does walks, those right. things, but me, that was, that was a hard thing, right? But maybe looking for some ways to adjust your routine a little bit to still allow for that to be there, but not the way you did it before. Yeah, no, and I've actually found myself doing that. And it's funny you say that dog, because I do that now. Like my husband always walked the dogs and now I'm the one that is always mm-hmm. walking. And it's it's because of that. It's because it helps me sort of roll into it like I it lifts my mood. I get, you know, like this time of year when it's a little colder, it sort of gets Mm -hmm. me out there and acclimated a little easier as opposed to like jumping on my bike and being like, Oh my God, it's so cold. It's going to be a half hour before I warm up, you know, like it, like all of that. And it is a, that mental and physical shift has definitely helped. Cause then once it's it's like a body emotion wants to stay in motion, right? Like, so you you just get yourself in another way. Yeah. Can, can you find those? Well, and, you know, there is something to be said for it. it does take, as you get older, it does take a little bit longer to warm up. If anybody's ever gone and worked with like a, a youth team or a high school team, the stuff they do right off the gun, I'm going, oh, God, you're going to pull muscle. They never do, right? right. Watch your hamstrings. Because, oh, okay, you're fine. Yeah, oh, yeah exactly. But, you know, they, they all of a sudden, like, oh, I'm skating with kids on ice right now. And they'll do something and I'll be like, oh, that would rip my groin. But on the ice for 10 minutes, it's cold out here, right? And they're all over the place. Because there is something to be said for the um, uh, elasticity of our muscles and stuff. And and as we age, we lose some of that. We lose muscle mass. We lose all those things. So we may need to do a reassessment of how we warm up, how much recovery we allow. And again, the science is not caught up. Just like we don't have pediatric exercise physiology, there's only like four textbooks. We don't have geriatric, and not to put us all in the geriatric category, but just for the, the sake of this conversation, we don't have information about that category hmm. and exercise physiology, the, the quality training theory, master swimming has got some, but when you start to read the master swimming literature, a lot of it's about 35 year olds <laughs> because that's master swim. I know it's like, wait, what? Oh, those children. Oh, no. um, and, and the adults, you know, the, 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 the septuagenarians and the 60 year olds and the 50 year olds, those are, especially as you climb up, those are news stories. Right. They're not research reports. It's got to be getting there, right, though? I mean, we have a whole generation of women. No, you get that face. Everyone can't see the face you just made. <laughs> she well, made a face that said no. <laughs> I'll just tell you. <laughs> think about how long it took the medical community to address the needs of women in heart disease and in other, you know, serious life-affecting problems. Mm-hmm. Think about how them, and, I, and I'm not dishing the whole medical community. It's just the, where is the money? Where's the funding? Right. That's what researchers are reinforced for. And, and this is not going to be seen from, this is going to be somebody's hobby research, right. not their line because there's not a lot of funding here. You know, Stacy does some great work. Stacy Sims does some great work. And it's often sort of off the edge of the other work she's doing. And she's been able to start to get some conversations going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but there's no money here when you start to get past health and well-being and into sport and performance. Gotcha. There's not enough of us. Gotcha. Gotcha. It's a small, small area. And we're not Olympic. You know, yeah. we're not, we're not even professional sports in a lot of aspects. When you think about NBA, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, major league hockey and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's, it, it'll be a while, but, and even, I mean, just even to back that up a little bit, think about the level of research that's there about even menstruation and training. Right. That's just started. That's in the infancy. We don't have, yeah. Well, and just so you know, I remember when I first started grad school 20 years ago, looking all this stuff up and doing papers on it for classes. 
there's not much more. <laughs> there really isn't. And it was like, I was a shock then that they didn't know anything. Right. And my ex-fizz professor said, well, there's only so many of you and it's not where the money is. And I went, well, that's a stinky way to look at it. But huh. so we're sort of in the same boat. Yeah. I think you'll see it grow, but it will be minor conversations, not major. Well, I, I'm I'm here to start a major conversation. I got to tell you, <laughs> I'm, gonna... I'm up for that. Well, and I think that that kind of conversation, and then you know, the, just the sheer fact too that you have a group of women that are in this Facebook group lends itself well to reaching out and seeing if we can't find some researchers who totally. go, hey, you've got the population, let's connect some dots here, and that becomes a really exciting way to drive it from within. Hey, we want to know something. Come over here and figure this out with us, as opposed to wait for the I tell you totally and it, it, there is a, a, a there's a women are there and there's a thirst for knowledge mm -hmm. I mean it, it's that yeah. that has become very clear um yeah like following this this thread down and and from what I'm hearing and and from what you know from some of my own experience and some of my mm -hmm. uh from this group one of the things I did want to touch on as we talk about the emotional and psychological component is I have heard quite a bit, and it's kind of heartbreaking that women confide, especially in revealing sports like triathlon and such, that they they have a hard time because they don't like how they look anymore. Yeah, and that that makes it like I, it's heartbreaking, you know. So it makes it hard for them to to go to the swim, to go to the run, to get into lycra. Um, mm -hmm. How can we help? Yeah, well, you know, again, I think it's we got we got a compounding effect of the media that the only bodies they show are the hard bodies. We've got the effect of cultural that uh, it drives me insane. Just even just culturally, you'll see those articles: what women after over fifty shouldn't wear. I know, I hate all that stuff. I right, hate it. and and this these rules that get put on us about how we're supposed to dress and how we're supposed to look, mm -hmm. whether it's the effects of aging, the effects of aging and having had a child, the effects of those are not supposed to be. And there's a, there's a couple of things that I think, again, we got to get back to the place of forgiveness of ourselves, that this is an aging body. And how do we really stop and take account for the fact that, you know, there's going to be some extra sag here because of all the miles that I've put in, I'm going to have a few extra wrinkles because I've been out in the sun so, so much right? I have, I have little creases. I don't know if anybody else does that. My wrist marks from your bike. Yeah, I do too. Having a lot to do. I'm sure being at the computer is not helping, but most of it comes from the years and years of, and I'm going to have some arthritis in my knees. Mm -hmm. They told me when I was 25, the first set of x-rays after a crash, oh, you're going to have arthritis. I'm like, so what? Someday I'll replace them. <laughs> right. But we're going to have some of those things. And can we embrace those and, and that sign, the sign of the fact that we have lived well and lived active and hard, the same way we embrace some of the scars, like, you know, I have nodes in my hip from some crash, and I know there's something in there that never came out that <laughs> didn't get the bride. Yeah. And I'm proud my of it. shoulder right, right there. And, I don't know what that is, a stick yeah, maybe? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And you got the scars and you're proud of those. How do we help? How do we start to destigmatize that and talk about that and be proud? How do right. we look for places and push for images? Like feel bad at on... and put your yes. Yeah. Machines yeah, for Freedom bad. is and starting to do that. You're starting to see like that's, that's beautiful. a that, it's beautiful. It's a bike uh for people who don't know, it's a company that makes women's apparel and they have truly plus size women. Not just like oh, quote unquote like they, they have women of all sizes and they finally have like like older women, women in their sixties who, you know, they're That's beautiful. It is. Yeah. Well, I mean, because there's something to be said for when you the first time you put your lycra on and you look down, and you realize there's broken, broken blood vessels or there's a little skin crepe that comes out underneath. And you're just like, wait a minute. Where was that? Where did that come from? Where was that? I'm not right. right. Or, you know, the, the met, what they call sometimes the um, menopause, I think is how they say it. The, <laughs> yes. the little pot belly that sometimes comes with menopause, um, which, again, the more we exercise, the more we do our strength training, the more we can lessen some of that. But at the same time, it is part of aging. <clears throat> and so recognizing that it doesn't stop us from what we're doing and taking that moment in the mirror to take a deep breath. If you're more comfortable, get a little bit bigger jersey. Go ahead. That's okay. Do it out of comfort, but not out of shame. Right. And recognize that shame 
is something that really it's putting you down and it's putting down all the beautiful women that you embrace and you see. And how do we celebrate that in each other? But it is very, very hard. It's a And you see it more than I mean, as with all of ourselves in the mirror, we see more in our own mm -hmm. mirror than other people see when they're looking at us, right? Like, I mean, I think that yeah. that is yeah. always true. But I, I definitely I really want women to um, I want to I want them to be able to channel their inner bad ass like you're saying like like this is my body it is seen a lot and it's only yeah. just begun <laughs> like so and can yeah. we and can we recognize what it can do and this is yeah. where going back to your goal setting I thought it was such a beautiful statement what are the things that inspire me and that are inspiring to do yeah these arms got me up Seneca rocks these legs took me up that pass. And can we start to change the narrative from what they look like to what they've done? Mm -hmm. Can you look in the mirror and as you look at yourself, instead of going, oh, I look like this, can you instead say, these legs have taken me here. This body has helped me do this. And can you change the appreciation for what it does rather than what it looks like? Can you take it to, to deep instead of surface, right? And using that to sort of empower and this sounds really, really simple and really silly. But why stop and look in the mirror at all? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean that that that's a that's an interesting that's an interesting point. And I've and I've I've had that thought. It's just such a habitual mm -hmm. thing, right? It's a habitual thing, right? Um, and I think everybody, yeah, and everybody, of course, wants to look the best as as they are. I mean, that this is just a very natural thing. But I but I think that it comes. I think once you once the outside shell starts to sort of fall away, it, it forces the inside brightness to come out. I sound so woo-woo when I say that, but I really believe well, it. But l let's pull that back a little bit because the outside shell, I would say it's not falling away though because that implies that somehow um, that, that we've lost some, you know, it implies that somehow the good thing is gone and so we don't want to be... We do want to pay attention right, to what we right, look like. Right. We do want to look good as we're aging. Yeah. You know, whether it's embracing this giant new gray streak that I have, you can't all see it, but it's running down the, the front of my hair that used to go blonde with a beautiful sun streak kiss has decided to be the gray spot. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and how do we start to embrace those things and get empowered by them, but not obsess about them. Mm -hmm. So when I say forego the mirror, I don't mean... Don't check yourself out, give yourself a wink and keep walking. Right. I mean, don't stand there and look for the imperfections. Right. Don't stand right. there and look at what isn't there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Give a nod to what is. But, it, it, you know, the other thing is, again, we know that culturally people look and people talk and there's all this stuff out there from the media. Prepare yourself with a few things that when, if, if somebody, if you hear somebody say something or if you're out in public and you feel like someone's looking at you and your perception is automatically, oh, they're judging me or they're doing this. They may not be. That may just be what you are reflecting onto them. Mm -hmm. But have a few statements that you've thought of ahead of time of how you would counter that again to yourself when you catch yourself thinking that, you know, oh, I must look terrible. They're really staring at me. No, they're just really shocked. They never see women of this age kicking ass this much, right? What are the things we can replace? And they very well so, might. That's not blowing sunshine up your ass. They very yeah, well might no, be thinking that. Yeah. Not yeah. at all. And I think, you know, most women who, this is something to recognize too. Most women who are competitive past a certain age will get those comments and those, I don't know how you do it, right? Or I could never do that drawing some pride from that. This is hard. This is a, you know, the lifestyle dedication of being a competitive athlete. And again, let's put that competitive athlete in the place of doesn't mean we're doing Ironman and triathlon. It just means we're embracing this lifestyle that is physically active beyond that walk 30 minutes in vacuum. Right. Right. Physical activity. Right. Record, right? Let's, let's call it what it is. People who are embracing being just as physically active as their bodies can allow and looking for challenges in their physical activity. To me, that, that is really speaking to this idea of, you know, maintaining competitiveness over time. And just like getting an advanced degree, it's a small portion of the population that does it. Mm -hmm. And there are people out there who would love to that can't. They do have, you know, true physiological limitations, but there's also people out there that haven't prioritized it that haven't 
placed value on it. And this comes back to our intrinsic motivation. How do we, when we start to get down on ourselves or how we look, shift that focus back to, but this brings me so much intrinsic value. I am not letting that stop me. I'm not, I never let anybody stop me because I was a female when I was 18 and they said girls didn't do this. I never said no because they said there wasn't a category for me to race in. The Kay Switzer has got some really nice stuff written about being Kay, do you remember Kay Switzer, the um, oh, yeah. woman who ran the Boston Marathon? Yep, yep, yep. She's written some really, yeah, she's written some nice pieces on ageism hmm. and the experience of ageism. If you get her on to speak, I let me know because I want to I hear her for sure. Okay. But this concept of ageism is another piece, right? We're talking about it from a menopause perspective, but there's also an ageism piece to it. And not letting that perception that's been drilled into your head that it's not okay to have cellulite under your, that cellulite's not because you're lazy or you're eating unhealthy per se. It's because you are of a certain age and that's how our bodies adjust to time, right? The fact that you have the little varicose veins or the little broken blood vessels, right? That's most likely the product of pushing your legs to so many limits over so many years, right? Some of your stretch marks have everything to do with your time in the weight room and all the accomplishments you've had. And how do we shift some of that to, and look at all the joy it's brought my life. And I'm not letting that stop me any more than I'm letting any sort of cultural expectation stop me. I'm sitting here trying right? not to and cry. I think, <laughs> I'm an emotional one. <laughs> no, but it, well, that's a sign of menopause too. No. But, uh, <laughs> I've always been that way, but that's fine. I cry, <laughs> I cry at coffee commercials. It's fine. Oh, that's, that's all right too, though. I, I we still tease my mom for crying at that French fry commercial where the big brother gave the little brother a French uh, fry. Yeah, um, that's me. But, but again, embracing that for the, you know, the joy and the good things it brings. And this is a, this is a phase. What am I going to do with it? Right. The, the nice thing about this age and I'm always tickled, right? There's the red hat society. Mm -hmm. There's the, when I'm an old woman, I will wear purple. This is this sense of empowerment and sense of, you know what? This is mine and I'm going to do with it what I will. It's my life. It's not going to be dictated to me. That's a sentiment that we can find going back in the literature quite a ways. Mm -hmm. We're probably the first generation of women who are really empowered to do it in a physical way. Yes. Unlike any other generation before us. Yes. Right. And so there is an interesting piece, too, I think, that could be very empowering. How do I set the standard for the girls that come after me and the women that will be in this in these shoes in 10 and 15 years? Um, Some of you may have had the experience of hanging out with younger teammates. And when I was, uh, you know, going through the, the 70s, right, wearing a bow in your hair as an athlete was, oh, gosh, no, that was sacrilege. Right. You're not wearing a bow. You're not making put pink in a, in a piece of clothing and I'm going to have a fit because you know, you're marginalizing what I'm doing and all that, <laughs> that stuff. And if you hang out with young women now, yeah, skirts when they're running. And I'm like, that took me a while to get used to. Right. And they can be both feminine and sport. I'm not saying it's perfect and it's easy for them, but it's better than it was mm-hmm. because of the generational embracing and, and thinking about the legacy we can lead or leave for the next generation of athletes and the barriers we can help shift. So, uh, you know, most of you who are still doing competitive races know that sometimes there's not a category for us. Oh, especially older, like, like, like women, like true masters. Women. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. All fifties lump them together yeah. or, you know, Oh, we, you're, you know, how do we change that legacy so that more women know that it's acceptable to return after they've raised their children or stay in it through having their children? We have the power through the images that, that we embrace and that we put out there to build that legacy for the next generation. And I think sometimes if you look in the mirror and think, I'm not doing this for me, I'm doing this for the women who did it for me. Right. And that can also help with that, a little bit of that motivation, a little bit of that self-acceptance. Um, if you've ever had a chance to read anything about the, I'm going to go with the bike since you and I both share that common common bond of over the years. You know, the bicycle played a huge role in the suffragette movement, right? Giant. It was big in Europe. It was big here. 
They didn't want women to ride bicycles. I know. Well, I just, yeah. And I go back and I read some of those stories of the women who got arrested for riding distances or riding without a male chaperone and all that. And I'm like, well, you know what? If they hadn't done that, then the next thing couldn't happen. And the next thing that could. And so how do I be that next thing? Even if it's just in my small little world, my small way. And that makes me feel like I'm part of something bigger than me, bigger than my aging, that's bigger awesome. than. Yeah. And that's, that's can be very empowering. There's so much, there's so much. Oh, cool stuff. I'm so excited. I oh, like, I am together. actually just super excited. Like this podcast, yeah. this, this group, all this stuff. I wake up, I'm so excited about it every day. Like le- legitimately, legitimately excited because I yeah. feel it. Like I feel like, I feel the energy of all these women who have not had this outlet. And it's really exciting to me. Before I let you go, I, I did want to, because I have to talk to you about this. I When I was looking to find you again, because it's been a while, you have this really marvelous uh, um, testimonial on your site. I might be on Peaks Coaching Group site about the 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 woman who wanted to uh she set the goal to be the first woman over 60 to finish the Leadville 100 mountain bike race under 12 hours um and she wasn't new to the Leadville 100 and for those who don't know it's a it's a very hard mountain bike race that it's very very hard because it's at elevation it starts at 9,000 and only goes higher um yeah but you know she had done it and and she said that you uh, were very instrumental and said lots of nice words. But so how, how does that look to coach somebody, you know, who is post-menopause or who is in these years? How, how, is, how does it look different than like somebody who is pre, you know, in, in that? Yeah. Well, you know, there's a couple elements. And, and that athlete, I'll, I asked her beforehand if I could say Wendy Skeen. She's an amazing mountain biker. She's in her mid-70s now and she's <gasps> still riding and still oh, finding that's... ways to compete. Oh, yeah. No, oh, no we're still hero. training. And that's stuff. awesome. COVID has totally changed how we're doing things right now, but she's amazing. And, um, you know, there's a couple of things, right? First of all, you know, you have to take into account that recovery is different and that, you know, it might be one hard day and two easy days. It might be two or three days in a row. And then we take four or five off. And we've really had to play a lot with that ratio and do a lot of experimenting with, how do you feel? And we do a lot of conversation about how do you feel? How's it going? Um, as time went on, we really shifted and, and Pilates became a huge piece. I'm a, a big fan of Pilates mm-hmm. from the perspective of its body weight, its core movement, its strength. Um, it's not about lifting heavy weights as much as it is about really being able to control and use your body and being very symmetrical. So we're not, you know, imbalances and all that. Um, we did a lot of work with that and in, in getting involving some of those types of things. Uh, we've recently started to embrace jump rope as a new and innovative way, just as something new to do, mm-hmm. but as a way to do some weight bearing activity and to build some strength, yeah. looking for things to keep it fresh, present some new challenges like we talked about earlier, because again, we don't want to compare old to new all the time. We want new challenges, we want things that excite us. So, um, and I hope I don't embarrass her by saying we started off our jump rope challenge without a rope. It's very because, reasonable. <laughs> yeah. It's not easy. And, and, it sounds easy. It's yep, not easy. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And now we're, we're working for it because it's a new challenge and exciting while she's still doing her others. And I've worked with several other women, you know, going through, going through menopause or post-menopause, but really taking the time to do a lot of plan adjustments and talk a lot about when sleep is getting messed up. Um, making sure we're addressing new strength needs and bringing that in, not necessarily, like I said, from a heavy weightlifting perspective, but then also having conversations and acknowledging where are we right now? Mm -hmm. And based on our training, how are we setting our goals? Not based on last year's race. And I think, you know, when I'm training somebody who's in there, you know, 16, 17, 18, and we're coming up a curve, yeah, we're going to do some comparison to last year and how are they evolving. Mm-hmm. If I've just started training somebody who's post 50 or even post 35, who's never, ever ridden or it's been a very long time, we can do some year to year for a while. But even then, there's a bit of a plateau that starts to happen and, and some things to concern. So where are we in the training right now? What does it look like and how can we how can we do that forward? Um and then always looking for whenever we set goals for race that certainly we've always got some maybe outcome goals and so those shiny bling goals, but what are we setting out to accomplish today and why are we doing this? Are we doing this for that result or is that the icing on the cake? 
what does this bring to your life? The other benefit I have found of training somebody who is older, going through menopause, postmenopause, <clears throat> is often we have a shifting of life duties. Children are out of the home. Um, job responsibilities have settled or we're, we're phasing towards retirement. Um, we've retired, right? And all of a sudden we've got more time to train. I, this, is, this was a male athlete, but there was a male athlete I coached a number of years ago who was in his 70s. And his goal, he, he retired. His training went, and his goal was to win a gold medal by attrition. <laughs> so he wanted cycling to extend his life and, and contribute to the extent of his life so that he would someday win a gold medal by attrition. Right, now, right. he'd been very successful and done other things, but I was like, that's kind of odd, and but I like it, right? It's a, it's a competitive goal. Right. I want to outlive everybody else. <laughs> Let's go for it. I love it. So, and there's a lot of humor too, right? Yeah. Got to find humor in this. We got to find, and I have found that with my master's athletes, um, particularly the women who are embracing cycling after 50, the, there's a different appreciation in how we talk about their rides. And I try to make that a point that the value add to their lives. We try, try to make that a big conversation. I found the women to be more receptive that, than the men I've coached over 50. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because we tend to be more receptive or allowed culturally to embrace that side. But that's a huge element going back to our intrinsic motivation. What value did this add? How did this make your day, your week better? Not just being stronger and less likely to fall and all the health benefits going to give you, but psychosocially, where did this help you find calm and peace and joy? And that to me, that at the end of the day, if your sport doesn't contribute that to your life, is it healthy? No, that's a great point. And, right. and that's a, that's a good, good way to look internally. Yeah. Do when you, t- I would just want to touch on the recovery piece just a little bit sure. more. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do, do you find uh, pushback to that or do people like, because it like you, especially if you're entrenched in your way, like I don't ever take two days off a week. What do you mean? And, you know, like is, is, is it, is it a matter of they need to feel the readiness and they need to feel the benefit of actually taking those days? Because I know I feel it. Like yeah. when I actually give myself that extra true recovery day when I need it, I'm like, my God, I feel so much better. Right. Like it's, yeah. Yeah. Well, it depends on the athlete, how much pushback I get. And I think this is where I often have to have a conversation with somebody. Let's stop and look at the rules of training, quote unquote, with my air quote fingers here that you can't see. Let's look at the rules of training. Why do we train this way? Is it because that's the structure of how school programs have done it? Is that the structure of college programs have done it? Is it really the most effective way to train to have six or seven days a week in a row. Is that the optimal? And I think, you know, what we would find for most people is that it's not Mm -hmm. the optimal. I think that very often that is the formula by which we've all followed. And when we start to look at, well, wait a minute, most of those training rules are based on really limited data and how much better could we be if we started to really personalize this to me and starting to play with that formula and saying, well, wait a minute, just because it says five days a week, what if I were to play with hard day, easy day, hard day, easy day and see how I do it and let yourself recognize the training science for what it is. It's, it's a science. It's not a prescription. It's a written in pencil. And even at an elite level, you know, when I'm dealing with somebody who's in their twenties, it can feel like, oh, I'm slacking. I'm not doing what the rest of the team is. But yet you may be somebody that benefits from a slightly varied model because if you look at the science, here's the the N and here's the range. You know, you got range from way over here to way over here. Mark Spitz was a great example of that, right? He swam, what, 10,000 meters a day. It was not a lot. His Russian competitors were swimming twice that. And he still won amazing amount of medals because for his body – that amount of miles would have caused huge damage and huge problems with recovery. And so giving yourself permission to experiment a little bit, um, giving yourself permission to find, you know, no one's studying you. So study yourself. (laughs) That's a great, find a coach willing to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you have to be, if you're, if you're going to train at a competitive level, 
whether it's 22 and going for an Olympic medal or 65 and going for a Leadville under, if you don't become a scientist of yourself, you really can't figure out what best performance is. Just like you need to figure out, like, I cannot eat a bowl of cereal before I train. That will cause great gastrointestinal distress, whereas my teammates can, right? Um, You know, figuring out what works for your body, because no one has studied your body. Mm -hmm. And even if they have, we now know, we've established, whether it's menopause or in men, andropause, or whatever the case is, as we age, we are going to change. That is a natural, normal, physiological progression of owning one of these, right? So we have to be continual scientists, which means keeping good logs, being reflective about it, not being rigid, looking at it from a, huh, that experiment didn't work. Right. That, that approach I took, nope. Yep. Or finding someone who can do that with you. And I mean, even though I coach people, if I'm going after a big goal, I hire somebody else. Oh, I always do. Because, yeah, I because do. I don't have the time or the clarity to get out of my own way sometimes. Yeah, I think that I think that would be a good message to leave women with on this episode for sure. Is if you haven't ever thought you needed a coach or hired a coach for anything, it is well worth. Um, think of it as like money, like a gym membership or something. It is well worth it because, yeah. Think of it as a. But but here's a caveat to that. Uh-huh. If you're if you're older, do some homework, do some research, do some interviewing. Don't just take a coach that gets assigned to you. Don't just right. talk to them a little bit and find out what experience have they had. How do they view? Is are their values about training and aligned with yours? If if they're only driven by, you know, numbers and outcome, is that going to help you? Is it, or is that going to drive you in a way that's not healthy for you? And it may, it may be a good fit. It may be not. There's nothing wrong with having a interview with a coach and spending some time talking to them before you hire them, because not every coach is trained the same way. Not everybody has the same background. Not everybody has experience with, you know, the issues around, or even aware of the issues around. That doesn't mean they're not willing to learn. And you might find somebody great who says, yeah, let me learn with you. Right. Right. Talk, yeah. talk to them first. Don't, yeah, big piece there. For sure. Yeah. And I had, like, I had a Rebecca Rush on the show. Uh, she was my second guest. Oh, yeah. And she, she, it was funny because she, she went to her coach and she's like, I've never said the word menopause before, but she's like, Hey, I'm talking about menopause. We want to talk about my performance before and after. And, and it was super enlightening and great for him. Great for, you know, like that was a really great example of, both of them yeah. sort of like, you know, looking at the data and seeing, you know, just what you can learn from it. So, um, yeah, charting, yeah. charting, keeping track and, and learning, looking at it as a learning opportunity, as opposed to a, just something you don't have control over. Cause that, that is the one thing. And the Washington Post did a nice article a couple of years ago. I don't know if you saw I it. it. I can send it if you didn't. Okay. And, and, and what I really liked about it was it shifted all of it to the empowerment phase, right? Of this is happening. Do you have control over it? No, going to happen. Yep. Unless you stop aging, in which case you stop competing anyways. But what do we have control over? How much strength training we do? Well, we know that's effective. So let's keep doing it. And let's do a little bit more working on the quality of our sleep, you know, hard to do. How do we prioritize it? How do we, what do we have control over and where can we take control of the data, the information, the experience? It's ours. Nobody can take it away from us. We get to do this. And um, I think there's an empowerment in menopause. If we can step away from it happening to us and say, all right, what am I going to do with it? That I'd really love to, to encourage and empower women to take. Okay, that's our show. I'd like to take a moment again and thank everyone for all the great reviews and for sharing the show on your socials. The show is spreading far and wide, and it's super exciting. And all of your reviews and shares help keep this thing going. So keep it up. I really appreciate it. And join me next week for a conversation with Dr. Pam Peek. Dr. Peek's bio is literally pages long, so it's hard to boil it all down. But in a nutshell, she's a nationally renowned physician, scientist, expert, thought leader in the fields of integrative preventive and lifestyle medicine. 
She has been named one of Americans' top physicians by the Consumers Research Council of America. And she has also conducted some groundbreaking and award-winning research on the relationship between belly fat distribution, trauma, and stress. And well, this show is a little on the heavier side. Research shows that trauma in your early life can lead to more severe symptoms during menopause. And as an expert in stress and trauma, Pam explains what's going on there. And we go pretty deep on what it means to develop resilience. It was honestly an honor to talk to her, and I think you'll really love what she has to say. So tune in next week, and until then, stay feisty. You've been listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I'm your host, Celine Yeager. The show is edited and produced by the strong, talented, and amazing women at Live Feisty Media. Follow us on social media at Feisty Menopause. And please help us spread the word. Screenshot and share this episode on your social media channels with the tag at Feisty Menopause. Share the show with your friends. And please subscribe, like, review, and rate this show wherever you get your podcasts. Word of mouth and good reviews make it easier for other listeners to find. Thanks for listening, and as always, stay feisty. Mm-hmm.